Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Okay, back here for Friday edition of Pass Interference Podcast. I'm Andrew Callahan, getting you ready for Colts Week. And we have a new guest on, Chad Graff of The Athletic. Chad, a rookie on the Patriots beat, but a veteran of NFL coverage. And I don't know what to step above a veteran. It might be an all-pro of Flying Delta. Because every time we've been on the same flight this year, you are like seat row well, one and two. And you are chilling in first class. My hat tip to you, because... You mentioned that you got all those miles covering hockey, which is something that, like, as a journalist, I should just follow up about because I didn't know that about you. How long were you covering hockey for? I did hockey for five years right out of college. Went to the University of New Hampshire, and then first job was covering the Wild uh, in Minnesota. So did that for five years, and then I kind of got away from that to do football for four or five years. But Delta, just because of the pandemic or whatever else, has let you roll over your status over and over and over. So. I'm still diamond, even though I don't deserve it. And I'm traveling to, you know, 10 road trips now instead of the, the hockey travel is just nuts of 6 a.m. flights to Winnipeg and Edmonton. I, I do not miss that. Yeah, it's funny because I don't want to go full into sports writer cliche of, oh, let's make jokes about our golf games and talk about Marriott and like Delta points. But like pe- people don't realize the grind of NBA and NHL coverage where you're talking about 41 road games, throw in preseason. Okay. You make a postseason run. Now that goes to 45 from 41 to 50 or 60. And I got a tiny taste of this last year. Perfect timing, jumping on the C's playoff run for the Herald did game six and seven. And then uh, one more when they were playing the bucks in the second round, I got back and was like, I'm exhausted. Like <laughs> I'm ready for one trip a week, sometimes once every two weeks. And did it get easier or better? Or were you just worn out at the end of every season? No, I was I was worn out by February, and <laughs> I loved it. I love hockey. I loved, you know, I think that the hockey locker room is probably the best for access, guys telling stories, having a good time. Loved everything about it. Just hard to have, like, a family and be on the road 80 to 100 nights a year and 6 a.m. flights. I would just come home from road trips completely exhausted. So football has been a great change of pace. And for our business, it's, like, the closest thing that you can get to a 9 to 5. Yeah, it really is. And it kind of depends on the market and the access. Some places are better or locker rooms a little bit later. Like we we had a brief snippet. And I say this to give people a, a glimpse behind the curtain of, you know, the, the Patriots practice early afternoon. There were a couple of days there at the beginning of the year where we haven't been in the locker room two, three years. And they say, yeah, you can come in before and then we'll go to practice. And then that's kind of it. Like you did your press conferences in the morning. You go in the locker room to talk to the guys for 45 minutes. We're like, this, this is great because you're kind of home by two and you're still working. You're just at home. That got flipped. Now we talk to them after practice. So sometimes, you know, I'm leaving like 7.30 or 8. By no means complaining, but that's kind of what you're talking about. It's like a, it's a 9 to 5 more established 10 to 8, if you will, in some cases. But uh, more regular. Than, yeah, Winnipeg. They probably enjoy that. But, you know, they get the quotes and get to see the press conferences during the day as opposed to, you know, their drive home. Yeah, for sure. We don't all have to be stuck in traffic on Twitter because who would ever uh, do that? Not me. All right. So I gave you a homework assignment in your debut here in Pass Interference. It was to create a trade you would have made as a Patriots GM. Now, because we talked before we hit the record button and yours is more exciting than mine. I don't know what your trade is yet, but I, I struggled with this because I know a lot of people at home are going, give Isaiah Wynn away for a bag of footballs and then throw the footballs away. Let's just have it be done with. And I get that he has given up a sack in five straight games, uh, a penalty in four of those, or maybe you want to dump Nelson Aguilar, or maybe Stephen Harris, who knows the trouble is 
when you're a four and four team in the trade market, you don't have a lot of natural dance partners. The teams that made big swings, Miami, Buffalo to some degree, obviously San Francisco, like they're buying. There's a clear objective there of what they're playing for. And the flip side is if you're selling, you're going to talk to those people. And that's what happened when you look at the teams that they dealt with. Now, the Patriots are really well positioned as I covered in the last episode for 2023. You can see it in the way they're rotating snaps, the way they save salary cap space and are playing a lot of young guys. So it's tough because you look at the players that got traded. And I think, what was it, 10 or 12 on Tuesday? 10 total trades, 12 players. Yeah. Which, you know, maybe the NHL or the NBA is like, oh, yeah, ooh, 10 trades. Good, good for you, NFL. Our trade deadlines are insane, um, kind of like baseball was when we were growing up. But you look at the names. Roquan Smith goes a day or two before. Okay, fairly big name. A lot of backup corners, a couple of running backs. I will say the Calvin Ridley option made me pause. And I really wanted to pull the trigger as the Patriots fake GM for a day because those picks, as I kept reading, were really conditional and even conditional upon the Patriots striking a long-term deal. I just don't think that by the time he comes back around, they're willing to make that investment on a guy on a fifth-year option fully guaranteed who hasn't played in almost two full years. So I stayed away from Calvin Ridley. What I did was I shipped Nelson Aguilar to the Chargers, and this is either a late-round pick swap, guys in the final year of his contract. The Chargers need receiver help. They're especially slow on offense, and either you bump – one of your three six-round picks up to the fifth round, or you had a guy named Troy Reader, who started for the Rams last year on defense when they were winning the Super Bowl, wasn't good enough to get anything more than a small one-year contract on the other side of L.A. with the Chargers, but core special teamer. He's 6'3", 245, so requisite size boxes for the Patriots on defense, and he's fast. It's just that the rest of his game, not so great, um, but I think if you're the Patriots, you take a flyer on that, and maybe it's with the pick swap or it's just a pick swap or it's just reader because Aguilar, as we've seen, clearly the number five in the depth chart, even when Devontae Parker goes down, he's not playing against the Jets last weekend. Which a couple of things. One is wild because going back to training camp, I thought Aguilar looked really good. And I thought he was actually primed for a better year than Devontae Parker, who they've treated as the number one wideout. Two, I love uh, how realistic yours is compared to mine. <laughs> and... Three, you did an excellent job previewing my trade, but here's where we're going to disagree. Um, as the fake GM of the Patriots, we will be acquiring via a fourth-round pick and a conditional second-round pick, Calvin Ridley, Ooh. to finally give Mac Jones a true number-one receiver. And yes, risky, fully guaranteed deal. You don't know if you're going to have him beyond next season. You don't even know what kind of shape he's in or what he's going to look like or how he's going to play. But two things. One, looking back at it, it's easy to forget how freaking good he was. 1374 yards, nine touchdowns in his last full season. I went back just because I was curious to see the last time uh, that a Patriots wide receiver, you know, anybody, Gronkowski included, did that. Um, any guess on when the last time 1374 was the yardage to eclipse? Oh, for a single Patriots receiver in one season? Yes. Um, to put you on the spot here. I don't – I mean, it's like when Gronk was healthy, right? Like, it, did he get – It wasn't close? Gronk. It was a receiver. We're not going all the way back to Randy Moss, are we? No, but for a second, as I kept going back on pro football references, like, we're not going to 07, are we? 2011 with Wes Welker. Ah, uh, there we go. That coach. Welker was the last guy to do it. So they haven't had anybody putting up the kind of production that he has. But the main reason that I wanted to pull the trigger on this is, as weird as it sounds, you kind of have to decide on Mac Jones by the end of next year. That's when you got to decide whether or not you're going to pick up his fifth-year option. And, you know, if you keep kicking the can down the road, you end up with the Giants in this weird spot with Daniel Jones. So if you're going to need to know what you have in Mac Jones, I think you should give him every opportunity to succeed next year. Give him whatever it takes. Put all of the chips in for next year. Even if you don't know, even if you think, boy, we might be giving up a lot if we don't resign him, if he's not as good. Like, give Mac Jones a chance next year before you have to make a long-term decision. Um, so it, the conditional picks help. I think I probably have to do a fourth, unlike the Jags who did a fifth, and then that conditional pick all the way up to the second round. Um, but, you know, I, I think the other 
obviously troubling part is he's coming off of an entire season suspension. That is worth noting. However, you know, Bill Belichick is not averse to um, players who other teams may view as potentially a, a troubled past going, I don't know, kind of all the way back to Corey Dillon. So I, I think he has the ability to take that on and the stability to, you know, perhaps Robert Kraft sidles up to Goodell at the league meetings and says, you know, we, we got this under control. I don't think he needs any more punishment. We've got him in classes. We're going to be fine. Um, and it, you know, at worst, you lose a couple of fourth-round picks for taking a shot at a number one wide receiver, a spot that you haven't filled great in free agency, a spot that we'll see how Tyquan Thornton does, but that you haven't drafted particularly well. So go get somebody who's established. I thought about Claypool, but the difference to me, like, Claypool, you have to give up a second-rounder. And Ridley, I think, is a better player, even if Claypool is younger. Ridley's better. And at, at most, you're giving up a second round. And that is if it works out. If you re-sign him, you know, which would mean that the 2023 season went well. So uh, I'm all in as the GM on, on buying this. Maybe it looks poorly if Max still struggles all of next year and Ridley's out of shape. And it, it, I'll concede it has the chance to blow up in your face and look horrible. Uh, but I'm, I'm pushing the chips in and saying, Mac, I'm giving you what you want. Show me what you can do. Well, let's go further down this road and just say, okay, you know, there are the more reasons to, to buy Calvin Ridley because you're right. It's a typical buy low opportunity for the Patriots who will swoop in at a time where they can spend the least amount of money for an upside that they can tap into, which is very obvious. Like you talked about, that guy was productive immediately in the league. And I think in a way that's transferable or, or his skills are portable to the Patriots offense, right? He's a very good route runner. Okay. He can operate at all three levels of the fields and inside and outside the other part about this is when you look at the receiver market in the spring, it is UGLY. This thing has no alibi. And it's a, a mishmash of players that have been hurt. You look at Sterling Shepard. You look at DJ Chark right now is a one-year deal. Nelson Aguilar is going to be back in the market. And that could go one of two ways. It could continue to stay as one of the top three highest paid positions in a roster uh, with the influx of all these big contracts that came last year. Or it comes down a little bit with just the gravity of like, you can't support those numbers or justify them, even with a rising cap. Because like Sterling Shepard got hurt and he wasn't that great to begin with. And Nelson Aguilar is at the top of this along with Alan Lazard. So if you're the Patriots, you say, let's get a guy who at his peak was better than all of them, is still in his physical prime. And ultimately the big crime of Calvin Ridley, which this is kind of like failing a drug test at the combine, right? Like he bet money on games, it was 3900 bucks, which to him is $39 to you and I, probably even less. You just can't do that. The unfortunate part for him is, of course, the league is now in bed with DraftKings and all these different companies and betting. So there's a lot of hypocrisy here. But the bottom line is he did something you just can't do. And the risk there for the Patriots, I think, is too much. The, the one, obviously, bigger point aside from don't get a player for that much who's done a really dumb thing is – if the Jaguars think this is a good idea, Chad, uh, that immediately has me running the other way. <laughs> Trent Baalke being like, you know what? I I've outsmarted the rest of the league here. I know something that they don't know. Uh, perhaps it's a poor choice on my fake GM part to be aligning myself with him. Um, yeah, that's that's probably the best counterpoint that there is, is Trent Baalke and I are on the same page. I just loved his his quotes after that, too. It's like, we've talked to a ton of people around Calvin. They all say very nice things. It's like, first of all, that's the press conference the Nets are going to give around Ime Udoka uh, in, a, in a couple of days or a week or whenever they they hire him is, oh, we've done our due diligence. Sure. Let's just skip this and be honest. He's a talent. It was a vital opportunity. I just don't know, too, if you're, okay, you feel good enough to lock him up with a long-term deal then giving up a second round pick is one of these issues to it. That's it's even more competition. It's more even lost. But the point you make about you need to surround Mac and go all in in his third year is one that we've already seen around the league. The Dolphins making all these big moves for Tua. He's in his third year. The window for his rookie contract is closing. Justin Herbert, all the moves the Chargers made in the offseason, same deal. Joe Burrow to a degree of like it was probably a good idea on its own to refortify their offensive line. But you need to do that so long as Joe Burrow, you know, is allowing you to spend that money because he's on his rookie deal. So that will be the Patriots next year and tie into a mailbag question at the end where people are asking, are they going to make big moves next spring? I will say yes, but we'll leave it there right now because we need to get on to the Colts. Um, I promised uh, listeners we would get back to this old format when the Patriots have the ball and their opponent has the ball. 
three matchups, uh, two keys, or three keys, two matchups, one extra point. You have a full list of this. Let's start with the Patriots have the ball. What do you want to see for Mac on Sunday that tells you the second half is not going to be a shit show? Let me let me just put it like that. It, it's you know it sounds weird to say for a four and four team playing at home before the bye. I think this is a sneaky, super important game for him. Uh, I think there were times in New Jersey against the Jets last week that he probably would have been booed. Like go back to that pick six that wasn't. Imagine what Gillette Stadium would have sounded like had that game been at home. So super important for him to kind of finally find that right footing in front of the home fans. Um, But there's two main things that I think you need to need to see from him in this game. And of course, the first one is a complete no-brainer given how things have gone. Uh, It's got to start with no turnovers. First and foremost, you cannot turn the ball over against any team, but certainly this team. Um, You got to just... The issues that have come there have been well-documented um, and, and well-foreseen. So take care of the ball. The second thing, though, I think this is a bigger challenge considering both the offensive line for the Patriots, but also the fact that the Colts, for all of their issues and for not being a very good team, can get after the passer a little bit. And Mac has handled the pressure horribly. I went back and looked at this just because, you know, as you're looking at stats sometimes – You'll be amazed to see, like, before the Jets game, we were looking at all the Zach Wilson stats. Like, wow, he's bottom here and he's bottom here. And then you'd look up, oh, Mac Jones is barely better. Um, Against pressure, Mac Jones ranks 34th out of 35 QBs um, when he's pressured in EPA per play. He wasn't great last year. I think he was 19 to 18, something like that, out of 31 or 32. So closer to league average. You can live with league average. You cannot live with being basically the worst quarterback in the NFL against pressure, um, whether that's, you know, taking the layups, taking the easy throws, taking what's in front of you, not necessarily having an 11 yards average depth of target, or whether that's um, moving around in the pocket better or adjusting the offensive line or just praying that David Andrews suddenly uh, heals from his concussion, whatever, you know, your solution, he just has to be better against pressure. So I think that's, that probably even more than turnovers is, the one thing that I'm going to be watching for, for Mac Jones on Sunday. I think those are all really good points. And it's interesting because, you know, when we try to parse out all these different Mac Jones numbers, and I'm going to introduce the Colts in a second. I totally skip where they are, what they do. And you hit on one of them, which is actually rust the passer. Not so bad. Everything else, not so good is none of the numbers around Mac right now are good. And the issue to me primarily is just everything is from a small sample. And there's a lot of interference in those numbers. It's the coaching change. It's the play calling change. It's the offensive line play the last couple of games. It's him not trusting the protection he had earlier in the weeks. And these are not excuses. It's just the reality of the Patriots offense, which hasn't been very good, regardless of quarterback, and is still trying to find itself. We ask guys all the time, do you know your offensive identity yet? I just wrote about this today. They're getting close, but they're not there yet. I think we need to see him play more because ultimately if he had played, let's say the Jets game in week four, never gets his high ankle sprain, arguably even the mo- the greatest piece of interference out of all for his season. You know, you're going, this has been a bad start to his season, but there's still not a quarter of the way through four games in a 17 game season. Naturally he'll continue play the lines, play the Browns. That's a cure all for anyone. He'll move on. The trouble is that gap now has pushed us to mid November where we look at this team and say they should know who they are and what the quarterback is right now is not very good, but he wasn't there for about half the season. So I don't, the numbers with him holding onto the ball longer than two and a half seconds, according to pro football focus are better as far as their grades go. I don't trust their grades as much as some do, but he also has one touchdown and five interceptions when he's holding the ball that long. It's two and two, at least when he gets the ball quickly, like you're talking about. Yeah. And You know, I think the other thing that has been discussed ad nauseum and, you know, I would argue rightfully so, is the play action, the RPO stuff. Finally, you know, got more than three play action attempts last game against the Jets. Something to build on. I don't know, and I would be curious to know how much of that was Mac Jones in these extra meetings. He was talking about saying, like, guys, come on, this works for every other quarterback and every other team. How are we not doing this? Um, at his press conferences, he always says things like, yeah, you look around the league and every team is doing them. And he'll couch it by saying they're doing it to various degrees. But to me, that's screaming like, yes, every team is doing this. 
for a reason. Stop running two play actions. So I think they finally started to get on the right track with that eight play action attempts, um, double digit RPOs last game. I think that's something to build on, but gosh, I don't have a ton of faith that that is going to carry over. I hope it does. I think that it should, um, but I just, I don't know. I, I think you got to see as much of that, if not more, um, after, you know, basically seeing none of it the first three games with Mac. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Yeah. All right. Let me rewind and break down the Colts here. Patriots, as you mentioned, four and four. The Colts are three and four and one. They have a negative 28 point differential. That is ninth worst in the league. Their last four games, one point loss to Washington at home last Sunday. Give up a big fourth quarter league. The week before, 19 to 10 loss at Tennessee. The week before that, 34 27 went over the Jaguars. And then four weeks ago, 12 to 9 overtime win at Denver, a tape that everyone should burn immediately and never watch again. They are, by DVOA, the second worst team in the league. That is because they are 32nd on offense, dead last, 14th in defense, and 15th on special teams. Offensively, that's a 32 because passing their 30th, that's even with Matt Ryan, who looks completely washed, and they've moved on from him, obviously, to Sam Ellinger, 32nd in rushing. And that is stunning, obviously, because of Jonathan Taylor, who knocked the Patriots out with 170 yards last year and a 67-yard touchdown, but he's hurt. And what that more does is speak to their offensive line, which used to be the backbone of this team. And Quinn Nelson's going fourth overall in the draft that everyone's going a guard, really. And it kind of worked out for a while. And they invest at the positions around him. Their tackles are hurt. Their tackles are young. Their tackles are bad. Um, And Jonathan Taylor only has one rushing touchdown. So, you know, defensively, we'll get to now because we need to wrap up the Patriots offense. They're 14th, as I mentioned, 20th versus the pass, 6th versus the run. Forrest Buckner's playing well. Grover Stewart, defensive tackle, likewise. Shaq Leonard, who's been hurt, is now coming back. Then there's obviously Stephon Gilmore. The two players that stand out to me, Buckner and Gilmore, if Gilmore, let's say, plays at the peak of his power, it's not 2019 defensive player of the year, but a guy who we've heard from Mac Jones can still lock down a side of the field. Does he worry you more locking down that side of the field or Buckner potentially coming up the field against maybe James Ferentz again? and disrupting Mac with some interior pressure. Buckner worries me way more. And I think it's largely because of the chance that he's going up against Ferens, perhaps strange coming off of the worst game of his career in which he had to get benched for Isaiah Wynn. And when you're getting benched for this version of Isaiah Wynn, that's not a great sign. Um, the Gilmore thing, like, yeah, he's really good, but the Patriots don't have a true number one outside receiver. So like, yeah, if you want to go shut down Tyquan Thornton or Nelson Aguilar or whoever it is with Devontae Parker out, like, go ahead, take him out of the game, shut down that side of the field, totally fine. We're going to do some funky things with Jacoby Myers like we did out of the backfield last game. Um, You can live with that. I I don't know, given the Mac Jones pressure numbers that we've already gone over, that you can live with Buckner harassing your quarterback, coming up the middle, destroying Strange's confidence for a second straight game. Um, just completely messing with an overwhelmed Ferentz. Like, that is a way that I think the Colts could actually come here and pull off an upset, is if they're putting up, you know, some monster pressure numbers like the Jets did. Mac Jones with Buffalo throws a couple of interceptions for that. Like, that's the recipe for them to win. It's not going to be through their offense, uh, as you have outlined. I, I think DVOA is probably the best stat to reflect how a team is. 32nd there is just atrocious, worse than that Jets offense that we just watched, I, I struggle to see how an offense could be worse than that. Um, so he has the, you know, I think he has a chance to, Buckner this is, 
really mess up a game. And if I were them, I would just put him right between left guard and center. Forget about the right side. We're not even going to go up against your good right guard. Just let him, you know, if you're the Colts defensive coordinator, try to ruin the day of strange interference. And, and I think he's capable of that. I agree with you. The one hesitancy I have is depending on where Gilmore is. And we asked, uh, Belichick spoke about this on Wednesday. How are they using him? And it's pretty much just the one side of the field. If you're the Colts and Gus Bradley is as loyal to this cover three scheme as anyone, like Pete Carroll has left the clergy. He was up there leading the whole sermon. The prisoners are gone. And, and Gus is still there saying a silent prayer. Like he just plays his scheme. It doesn't matter who he's playing, what year it is or how well it's going. He sticks to cover three is that if they moved him at all, Gilmore in the slot to say, the guy we really need to take care of is Jacoby Myers. Like Parker's out, Born and Aguilar need to show us they can hurt us. We keep a safety deep enough over the top. Tyquan Thornton, that's fine. A kid had a drop last week and had one catch. That's all fine. I don't think they're going to do that. Um, but Buckner's pressure obviously is an issue. He's got 24 pressures on the year, according to the PFF, four sacks, six other QB hits. The Patriots did a good job on Quinnen Williams. Um, it depends how much of Onweno he sees versus Strange in my mind. It's just also the part about Gilmore is I think this isn't so much a game for the wide receivers because I'm looking at their numbers for cover three last year. And Jacoby Myers is averaging like 0.67 yards per route run, which not good for the folks at home. The numbers that are good, over two and a half yards per route run for Hunter Henry and John Smith, who are top 10 among tight ends against cover three. And I think the Patriots probably don't, want to bulk up against a good run defense, particularly given how the run offense went last week against the Jets and the Colts are second in stuff rate. But there should be opportunities for Hunter Henry, who led them in every receiving category last year, to find some soft spots in that zone. And you can just feed him the targets that you would take away from a born or Aguilar who is going to have a tough time with Stephon Gilmore. Yeah, I, I like that. And, you know, I, I think it would be nice to see Mac Jones get back to trusting Hunter Henry and John Smith a little bit more. It's incredibly noteworthy that uh, Hunter Henry's targets, I think it was 24 in the three, basically three games that Bailey Zappi played. And it's about 12 targets with Mac Jones, even though Jones has played more than Zappi. Um, you know, I, I think that a little bit speaks to the average depth of target and the fact that Bailey Zappi has been more willing to throw underneath. But man, it would be, you know, I think a, a very positive sign going into the bye if Mac Jones gets back to building some chemistry with his tight ends. And see, those are the conspiracy theories I want to get into as far as Zappy versus Mac goes. Like, why isn't Mac throwing to his next door neighbor? He and Hunter Henry get along very well. Mac was called like some all time great dude by Hunter Henry just last week. What has happened? I want to know, like, is he leaving his trash in the yard? You know, is he not giving him a ride home to him from the stadium? And that's the stuff I want to make up, you know, not the stuff that people are embracing the idea of sabotage within the offense, which you don't want to give voice to until it's sucking up so much oxygen in the room. You need to shut it off. Um, but you're right. I mean, I, even just for the simple fact that Hunter Henry is one of your best skill position players, no doubt about it. The numbers aren't there currently. His run blocking earlier in the year was borderline atrocious, but the guy can catch the ball and he can get open. And right now you need simple plays with players who can do, you know, simple, albeit difficult things like that to get you going specifically for Mac Jones. All right, let's move on to the defense when the Colts have the ball. We talked about this offense is terrible. 32nd uh, in the league, and it's bottom in, in uh, running the ball and 30th in passing. Sam Ellinger, though, along with the firing of their offensive quarter, Marcus Brady, who did not call plays, Frank Wright calls the plays, writes a script, is interesting because Ellinger can hurt them as a second-year guy at Texas who is a one-man offense his whole time down there, as Lamar Jackson did and as Justin Fields did with some of the quarterback run game. And he had six rushes last week for 15 yards against the Commanders. Not great numbers. But something tells me they're just getting started with that. And they would love to get that going even further, maybe that up to 10 or 12 rushes on a lot of these uh, QB powers or QB counters or some of the read plays with the back going away from the action. For the Patriots defense, is this as simple as solving your demons from those two losses to Fields and Jackson? Because Ellinger obviously isn't half the player or runner that they are. I think so. And I think in a weird way, that game against the Fields could – actually help them like they went into that and were pretty surprised I think it's fair to say that the Bears basically changed their entire playbook going into that game and it seems to be working like they're sticking with it that wasn't just a game plan specific for the Patriots they used it last week and it sounds like they're gonna 
you know, finally trust Justin Fields to be the athlete that he is and not try to make him be Tom Brady. Um, Bill Belichick noted, and I think rather blunt terms, that they have stunk against uh, quarterbacks <laughs> who can run. But Ellinger is just not the same. Like, yeah, he's a plus athlete. He is nowhere near Lamar Jackson. He's not Justin Fields. Like, yes, I think that he's the guy that you have to contain, especially if Jonathan Taylor is not playing. The status is still up in the air. But uh, I'm not really all that worried about him. Like, Pittman's a good receiver. Yes, I'm not worried about that passing game. Like, Ellinger's arm is just not very strong. I was going back and reading over some of the – Scattered reports from the draft experts and everybody was like, yeah, he's off the charts in the locker room. Teammates love him. Great guy. You want him in your building, but can he throw like a 20 yard out route? I've never seen it. It's uh, the quarterback. So I, she, she's got a great personality. Sam Ellinger has the great personality, but you're not going past day one. Exactly. So yeah, make him beat you. If he beats you, tip of the cap, way to go, Sam Ellinger. You played the game of your life, but make him beat you. Yeah, I agree. And I mentioned some of the numbers for Jonathan Taylor where it's a reflection of that offensive line. And, and Ellinger, to his credit, like against a decent Washington defense, 17 of 20 last year, 200 or 23 last week for 201 yards. You know, he's throwing to Pittman, but he's really not throwing to anyone else. Like Paris Campbell, who is one of my potential targets as I'm building up, um, you know, some of those scenarios that we talked about already, but he's going to be in a contract here. And I don't think the Patriots want to pay for that. One other fake trade I forgot to mention that I, I, can, uh, I weighed. Shaq Thompson, linebacker for the Panthers. He's 28. He's a little undersized for what they want, but they're already leaning into the Mac Wilsons if Mac Wilson can just follow the freaking football. Uh, and that's gotten better the last couple of weeks. That's a guy you could plug and play. The problem is the Patriots absolutely, positively, 100% do not want to pay him north of $12 million next year, which is his base salary, which was a real bummer when I got to his over the cap page. Otherwise, Shaq Thompson would have been a lot of fun in New England. Moving back to the Colts, Michael Pittman, 51 catches, 528 yards, a touchdown. The next closest is Campbell. He's got 30, 282. So you're looking at this scouting report, and let's say Stefan Gilmore was still here a couple years ago. The game plan is just, Steph, follow number 11 wherever he goes. We have no concerns about any other areas. So that would have been an area the Patriots naturally would have dominated with Gilmore. I look at this defense now, obviously without him, and see Matt Judon, just licking his lips, like just absolutely smacking them because he should have a sack and a half here. I mentioned left tackle Dennis Kelly hurt, not playing particularly well. You got a rookie on the right side for parts of this year. Are there any other areas you just expect the Patriots to flat out kick some ass on defense on Sunday? Judon's a great one, and I think he's got to be excited. This is a second straight game against bad tackles. Like He's been basically the inverse of Trent Brown, who it seems like every week draws a tough matchup. God, can I just get one easy game? <laughs> Drew Dunn's like, easy game, easy game, easy game. And, you know, you still have to do something, and to his credit, he is. Um, but there's not a whole lot else that scares me. Like, Elvinger's numbers, I will say, passing the ball, were better than I expected for his debut. The average over eight yards an attempt is better than I expected. But you listing out the scores of their last four games was jarring to me. Three of the last four they scored 16 or fewer points. Like you're just not, I don't care who your defense is, 16 or fewer points in three of your last four. Uh, boy, I, I have a hard time seeing, you know, how they're going to do that, especially with Jonathan Taylor at best playing banged up and at worst not playing at all. Their backup running back being gone. The Patriots passing defense is just good, which surprises me considering where the cornerback situation or how it looked three months ago. Fourth best pass defense per EBA per play. Um, so am I worried that Sam Elliott or Michael Pittman are going to hook up for 12 targets? Probably not. No, the, the interesting part will be though, depending on the opening script, which has been as some writers in Indianapolis noted this week, when Marcus Brady, their offense coordinator doesn't do any of that gets fired. And is basically the scapegoat that I don't think they've scored on an opening drive so far this year. If they have, it's like three points. And so you're going so that's that guy's fault, Frank. And he's like, well, yeah, I get that's how it looks. Frank Wright, though, his larger body of work, and specifically against the Patriots, is pretty good. And I would still not discount entirely as an offensive coach, even with the lack of weapons and a bad offensive line. If they can gimmick their way with plays and schemes that Patriots haven't seen before, which is when you unveil those on an opening drive, and they get to 7 nothing, 
then you need just some special teams, big plays, turnover here or there. And the, the Colts are stout on defense. I don't think the Patriots are going to run all over them. So the opening script for me is an area where I'm watching is not only just a really key battleground, but something that may or may not concern you going into this. Are there any other areas, though, for a defense that should dominate on paper that concern you maybe a little bit? Hey guys, just a quick break from a football podcast to remind you, basketball is back and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news and game trends at BetOnline. And as your continued source for all your sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, free contests and live scores, plus giveaways, free giveaways all season long. You can always find the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports, including the NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, even golf. Yes, yes, they're still playing golf. So head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50%, 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code CLNS50. Again, that's CLNS50 to receive your rewards at BetOnline, where the game starts. Not really, but there's there's something kind of interesting to what you said. I guess it would be just the unknown of what the offense will look like as they're changing both quarterback and offensive coordinator. You know, as Bill Belichick and others have noted plenty of times, it's not that easy to game plan when you don't know exactly what they're going to do or what they're going to look like. Um, I think one of the stats that I found super interesting this week, just looking at the Colts a little bit more, is something that illustrates how important a coaching staff is beyond just the play call. Like, yes, we know developing the script is important. You know, having kind of the right feel for what plays to call at certain times is important, managing a game, all of that. Offensive coaches who are not play callers still make a very big difference. When Nick Sirianni was the non-play calling OC in Indianapolis, their offense was really good. He goes to the Eagles, turns them into a really good offense with a quarterback that I personally did not think was going to be very good. Um, so, yeah, I think just for making a point broadly, uh, offensive coaches and who you have game planning makes a difference, even if they're not the play caller. Yeah, and another one, um, and, and PFS done a study, and I think it was in SCARS last year here, which would have been 2019, about the value above replacement for offensive line coaches, which has to be the most nerdy, boring. Probably that article has so much dust on it now that no one's read it. But I look at that and go, that's really interesting because you're trying to quantify something that like, oh, we all talk about these abstract terms and scar so good. And, you know, eventually the story just perpetuates itself. And it's true. But how much is that worth? And the, the study they did identified Scar and Bill Callahan for the Browns as the two coaches that really make a difference for the offensive line. And that's important, A, because that's the largest position group on your roster and is naturally going to have an effect on the rest of the team. But B, can single-handedly elevate your run game, for which they're mostly responsible, and help an average quarterback play a little bit better. And it's no surprise that the Browns, still a tire fire, but like the fire has been at sometimes embers because Bill Callahan has an offensive line that's actually working. And that's where the point that you make, I think they miss that in Indianapolis because their offensive line now absolutely a tire fire. Which is a separate point and maybe something we'll get to later, but it is wild to see how bad their offensive line is. Everybody still thinks of Nelson, me included, as like a top five guard. Maybe he still is big picture. He has not played eight games in as a top five. He hasn't played as a top 20 guard. He just has been very mediocre, kind of fitting in with that entire offensive line. The next PFF study I want to see is the proportion of eye black that runs down his face and how well he plays and how close it is to like his neck. Because I would think that the more that's on there, the more intimidated the defensive tackle is going to be and slightly more on his heels. And maybe that might be uh, affecting his play naturally and being facetious, but it is a badass look that, that a looks dumb when you're not playing well, but when you are playing well, it's like, I don't want any part of that guy. I don't even want to make eye contact. I like that for maybe an off-season series on the podcast. He has that studies you'd like to see. Yeah. Like a neck roll on the back of the shoulder pads. What kind of difference does that make for your fullbacks? Or you can make a whole list of PFF studies you'd like to see. Oh, bring back the neck roll. Yeah, just, just roll them out in April Fool's. Like, that's your cover. Some of us sickos are actually interested in this. But you're like, oh, this is a, just a joke to, to kind of fill time. <laughs> All right, let's get to three keys, two matchups, one extra point. I might have flip-flopped the keys and matchups, but as I mentioned, we scrapped our format last week for Tommy Kern. Uh, three keys. I'll go first. First half lead. Um, so the same reasons I talked about. Like, A, that means you've handled the script. 
B, it means your script has gone well. And you just kind of set the terms of engagement to the Colts. Like you're going to have to pass to come back to beat us. And that's the last thing you want to do is the team that's dead last in passing in the entire league. And it's really that simple. You can win without a first half lead, but the best version of this game for the Patriots and all the different universes it's being played is the one where they start out the first quarter up 10 to nothing or three to nothing after their first drive and control the game. Yes, and I think it kind of gets into what I think one of my keys is, which is that you're going to have to be able to pass the ball a little bit. Uh, this run defense for the Colts is actually pretty good. Like, it surprised me to see for as bad as they are elsewhere, sixth best run defense per EPA per play. Um, is Ramondre Stevenson that good? Yeah, he, he might be, but... You know, this is a little bit tougher of a matchup than they faced elsewhere. And I think if you come out just saying we're going to go run, run past your first three drives, you're going to run into some three and outs and it's not going to work. And if they're running the ball on second and 11, like you're looking at a 12-10 game, like the, the film that's already been burned. So uh, you're going to have to be able to pass the ball. This defense is better than I expected. This run defense is certainly better than I expected. So whether it's taking the layups in the passing game, whether it's leaning on the play action, um, you're going to need to be able to do more than just cross your fingers and let Ramondre Stevenson win you the game, which he's capable of doing. He did in New York. Basically, anytime they needed a big play, he came through, um, him and Jacoby Myers. But I don't think it's that simple against this defense. Um, you're going to have to be able to pass the ball. And so this is, you know, we talked about it a little bit before, but a surprisingly big, important game for Mac Jones. And I'm really curious to see how he responds and how he plays. Yeah. And it's interesting. You mentioned the play calling first, like you can't go run, run pass a, because that's generally a bad idea, but also against this defense, which is, is very stout and you might be missing again, your starting center. Um, Matt Patricia ramped up his first down play calling rate uh, for, for passive 70% pass rate on first down to 70% against the Jets. And to me, that was really telling of like, we're not going to bang our head against the brick wall here on early downs. We want to get the ball to Mac, get it out quickly and see what we can find. Obviously there was middling to less success with that. But then with the inclusion of the RPOs, which you mentioned earlier in the second half, I think will be elements of last week's game. They probably carry over to the Sunday because in the Colts, you're going to play another zone heavy defense. And the zone defense is the ones that you really exploit specifically on early downs with RPOs because you have the run defender, uh, the um, uh, the apex defender, the overhang, a lot of different synonyms in conflict. Is he going to cover the slot or is he going to come down and crash against the run? And that's where you start banging those slants in behind him or the bubble screens to go out to the boundary or the field or whatever it might be. So when he's in man-to-man coverage, it doesn't matter. He's just going to follow his man. But those, those plays are the ones that I think might be key here against the Colts too, not just passing more, but in how you want to do it. My last key, we already touched upon it, stopping the quarterback design runs. Some with Ellinger will probably be new, but they also might be things the Patriots can just go back to his Texas tape and say, this is what he's comfortable with. And they worked and the Colts are going, we need to do anything we can to get things going. And I just, Ellinger's not going to beat you with his arm. Um, two matchups. I told you what mine was going to be. So what do you have for a matchup uh, here that could decide this game? Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I, you know, I we just stress the importance of the passing game, but I, I think the running game is an incredibly important matchup. That if Ramondre Stevenson, he's not going to, you know, average six yards a carry against this defense, but if he can just do enough, if Damian Harris can fill in, um, I think that's going to be super important to just be able to run the ball. Like, yes, keep that cook index, whatever you want to call it, let back cook. <laughs> it's important to uh, have that you know, higher percentage of passes on those early downs, especially the first 28 minutes, but you're going to have to be able to run it. Um, I don't know what you're going to do with that left guard center combo, which just, I think, terrifies the hell out of me. If, if you're looking at it from a Patriots perspective, a horrible showing last week. Um, I think for them, David Andrews can't come back fast enough. Like 
James Ferris is seemingly a good guy, and I think he's probably here as much for his acumen and to be another assistant coach as he is to actually play. Um, so they need David Andrews back in a big way. And without him, Ramondre Stevenson is just going to have to keep having these massive games where against the Jets, he had more yards after contact than he had rushing yards just to begin with. So he's getting hit in the backfield and turning them into positive plays, uh, which is, you know, just doesn't exist, at least not consistently in the NFL. So uh, this feels to me like another one where you're going to just have to kind of cross your fingers at times, like, please, Ramondre, make a crazy play. And he has a lot of times in the past, but we'll see if he can again on Sunday. My matchup is going to go special teams, which we don't talk a whole lot on the pod and we don't write a whole lot about sometimes like last week. You, you, you need to, because that's just the story of the game. The Patriots special teams were great against the Jets, uh, but people just don't want to hear about special teams. They're going to listen to it right now because Marcus Jones, punt returner, my man, is killing the game. He had a 25-yard return against the Jets. And the Colts are a bottom 10 punt team right now. You know, Bubba Ventrone used to play here and coach here. Great. Kicked the Patriots ass last year. I think Marcus Jones has something for them. And Matt Hawk is a guy that, you know, Bill, Bill mentioned in his presser. When, when the praise tops out at, oh, we've seen him before. Like, okay, he exists. Great. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, Bill. That's the best you can do. Matt Hawk had a punter brought in in Indianapolis to compete with him like 10 days ago, just before they played Washington. So the culture where things are not going very well. He played well against Washington. I just don't think you can bank on that on the road in an outdoor environment um, at Gillette to replicate the success he had against the commanders. So I think Marcus Jones is due for another long return. I think the Patriots get some payback for the way that they had a punt blocked and just overall played terrible in special teams. But if you're going to watch one player, one matchup, it's Marcus Jones with the ball in his hands. Cause that kid, has a case to be the greatest returner all time in college football history. Uh, and certainly statistically. All right. One extra point. Um, what have we not talked about? It doesn't even have to be important. Just like Patriots Colts. What's on your mind about this? So the one extra point that I want to make is kind of an overarching point about how, about roster construction and the premium of both first round picks, first and second round picks, but first round picks and using those picks on premium positions, on offensive tackles, quarterbacks, edge rushers, cornerbacks, like the positions that win you games. When I was kind of looking at why the Colts are this bad and how they've gotten to this point, it's not hard to, if you just look at their draft classes, and yes, there's been the you know constant quarterback rotation since Andrew Luck left. Um, and you know I think part of the reason that the draft classes have hurt is because they just keep trying to find quarterbacks and it's not working and they're going the veteran route. Um, but even beyond that, you look at their roster construction, it's incredibly troubling. And I think, you know, for as much credit as Chris Ballard gets and he seems to be beloved by uh, many sports writers, it just hasn't been very good. They've had uh, three of the last four years, they have not had a first round pick. And I'm willing to give them a little bit of a break. You're trying to play catch up in the quarterback scenario. Fine. You look at the first round picks that they made before that. This is going back to, you know, basically Andrew Luck still being there. They used one, as you mentioned, the number six pick on a guard. Bad decision. Quinn Nelson, very good. But guards just, you know, it's hard to justify a guard in the first round. It's almost impossible to justify a guard as a top 10 pick. That was one of them. Uh, you go back to 2017. They use their first round pick number 15 overall on a safety, another position that is just not that important in today's league. Like, yes, it's awesome if you have the safety depth that the Patriots have. When you're looking at first round picks, don't look at safeties. This shouldn't be that difficult. And then you go one more year before that, 2016, they use their first round pick on a center. Basically the same thing, probably worse than a guard. Like, it just, it's not surprising to me that this team has struggled the way that they have uh, as beloved as Ballard seems to be, and as perhaps analytically minded as he is, it just doesn't match up to their drafts. Like, stop using your first-round picks on centers and then wondering what is going on. Um, so just befuddled by the entire roster construction of the Colts, all the way down to chasing after Carson Wentz and then coming in and being like, yeah, we, we think we've seen the numbers that Carson Wentz is actually going to be good. Round and round you go, Rivers, Wentz, um, Ryan, Ellinger, fine, whatever. It's just, gosh, it's, it's easy to see why this is a bad team when you look at the moves they've made. 
Yeah, uh, that felt like one extra rant, and I I loved it. And it's uh, it's interesting too because like we want to tell the story of this season, and obviously for the Patriots because it's a team that we cover. But the story of this season is entirely dependent on what happened in the drafts in the seasons before, which seems like an obvious point. But the drafts are the reason the Patriots had their huge downturn in 2020. It's because they were atrocious in the draft from 19 and 18 and 17 and 16. 2020, not so great. 2021, you spend a lot of money and start hitting a draft picks. Kyle Duggar, you know, Mike Onwenu in 2020. They play in 2021, help boost you along. 2021 draft, you crush that. 2022 draft, looking pretty solid. It's no accident that you're playing better now and are starting to rebuild. When you miss in those opportunities, things go badly. Or as you said, invest in a center, which is really kind of like a finishing touch on a roster if you have one or two roster holes. Go nuts. The Patriots did this with Logan Mankins back in 2005. Cole Strange is not Logan Mankins and you had a lot of other holes, which supports your point of maybe just don't draft the guard. Cole Strange has played well, but he got his ass absolutely kicked uh, against the Jets and could be in line to do that again. No knock on him. Um, so I asked you for a final score position uh, prediction. We got a couple questions in late for mailbag. Do you have five minutes to answer these? Yeah, bring them on. All right, cool. So one of them is about Cole Strange, and this is from Ashley on Twitter. She says, hi, Cole Strange was benched for win on Sunday. Do you think David Andrews' absence was a big factor in his struggles? I think this is Ashley trying to be very kind to Cole because he's a nice guy like Chris Ballard, and he's a rookie, and you don't want to say terrible things about a guy who's, who's a pretty cool dude. Uh, but no, he flat out got, as I said, his ass kicked, and that's going to happen when you're a rookie. It's going to happen when you see a defensive line like the Jets. At some point, you just need to burn the tape and move on. I think he'll play better against the Colts. But, you know, we're all talking about the two holding penalties. He gives up a sack and a hurry and one run stuff. There were reps that were even worse than those that didn't get whistled or recorded or charted unless you're really looking at it because they didn't result in some sort of consequence on the play that goes in the statue. He got bulldozed and it was bad and that's why he got benched. And it was not anything to do with James Ferentz, who played well next to him. I don't want to be all doom and gloom, but if you're looking at a worst-case scenario, imagine if Cole Strange gets his ass kicked again. Wynn gives up another sack. Like, suddenly, you've been okay because you've had one really bad offensive lineman or at least one bad pass protector. What if you suddenly have two, plus David Andrews, a center who is out, you know, with a concussion, who knows how long it'll be out. Like, that could be a big-time issue if you're coming out of the bye thinking, well, we could move win to guard, but win's not very good, but then you don't want to replace your rookie who you're putting faith in. You just drafted him in the freaking first round, so you might as well keep playing him. But, man, if Strange needs a big bounce-back game, probably more than anybody other than Mac Jones. Yeah, and again, this happens. You play football long enough. You coach long enough. Like Bill Belichick got thoroughly outcoached by the Bears, which none of us saw coming. But part of the reason they moved on so quickly is, A, they only had six days to get ready for the Jets. But, B, also, it just happens. And even to the best or even to the youngest, whatever happens, like he just he got beat, and he'll tell you that. So we'll see. But it wasn't anything to do with Andrews. Um, Chad, can we expect some major offseason additions next spring? This one from Darwin. I already said yes. I actually started going down quickly the list of 2023 free agents. And then you see Tom Brady at the top. And then you have a lot of other thoughts about what's going on in that guy's life. And I just said yes. And I'm going to leave it at that. And it's not going to be a receiver for the reasons I mentioned already. But I think defensively, specifically a linebacker, like, yeah, you should see some big names start to come in in March. And there's tons of cap space. I think the second most projected when you factor in who is probably going to get cut or restructured or whatever, second most cap space, but only behind the pairs. You're going to have money to do something. And yet, I'm still not ruling out the possibility of a trade for a wide receiver. I, I just think that unless Tyquan Thornton is really, really good these last, whatever it is, nine games, which I think he can be, unless he is somebody that you're going to go in and be like, yeah, that's what a number one receiver I think you have to give Mac Jones more help going into year three. Otherwise, you know, you're running it back and you know what the results are when this is, when this is the offense, when this is the receiving crew that he has. Um, I'm team give Mac Jones more help. However, that is, whether that's via trade, you've seen so many receivers get traded lately. I'm not a fan of giving up two first rounds picks for whoever the next big receiver is that's disgruntled and wants a bigger contract and the massive payday that Tyreek Hill with Devontae Adams, what have you. But somebody, not Chase Claypool, but somebody more along that where you give up a second round pick and get a young receiver. Um, I think that's something that you got to entertain this offseason. 
I love the declaration of I'm on team, give Mac Jones more help because that to Patriots fans, A, is just music to the rears. It's also the equivalent of like, save the whales and pay the teachers more. Like we can all get behind that. And it's the right take. It's not a bad take. It's just- Join my campaign. Yeah. yeah. Put, put out your uh, yard signs out front. You are ready Jones for the well. midterms if we held votes for the Patriots beat, which would just be so GD nasty as far as how people uh, react and treat, you know, New England media, but that's a whole other story. But uh, yeah, it's funny. And I think, it, look, it's a good point. We can all get behind it. I think he's a player who- you know, I, I kind of wrote around this or, or, or touched on it on Tuesday with my film review. He's not going to create on his own. He's a pocket-bound, ground-bound passer with fairly average arm talent, and you can win that way. But you need a lot of help around you with the way the position is trending. And the the ceiling on quarterback play now has never been higher. Like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen are doing things that Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, just never did. And the value of those sometimes can be overstated because it looks cooler in a highlight. But also on third and seven, when Brady's getting, you know, sacked because the pocket collapses in around him, sometimes those guys are spinning out and throwing from a three-quarters arm slot across the field for a first down that Brady just could never do. It's not a knock on him. It's just where the position is right now. Last one. Would you most... be up for, as a quick side note, yeah, yeah. assuming um, Aguilar leaves, would you be up, say they have like the 15th pick in the draft? Are you good with them picking a receiver at this juncture with kind of a mid-first-round pick? I... Knowing that there's other issues, knowing that you just drafted Tyquan Thornton in the second round, um, those are kind of the big caveats. I think I, I like your trade idea more because I think what you could do is a pick swap deal like you had with Devontae Parker. You could negotiate how much salary stays with that team versus comes back for these teams that are inevitably going to have buyer's remorse with all the contracts they spent last year and the receiver market's at its peak because I don't think they're going to go into free agency and sign a big receiver and we should mention Thornton, Parker, and Kendrick Bourne are the only ones under contract. They might just bring Jacoby Myers back, and we're going to run this back. Um, but I, I just don't think you can count on a rookie to contribute right away in this offense, even though it's different under Patricia. I think defensively is where you start to look for me. They also need to solve right tackle. So I would expect some sort of big swing there where I don't think you want to draft a rookie there at 15th or 20th, wherever they're going to be because you're dealing with a rookie right now, but they'll solve right tackle one way or another next off season. And that might be where they spend biggest of all, this kind of a plug and play um, kind of guy. Last question. Um, what happened to Ty Montgomery? It's a good question B, uh, but it's <laughs> upper body injury. And I, I wish I could remember who reported it. It might've been Mike Reese. Uh, it is not the ankle injury that he had in the preseason game against the Raiders when he gets carted off and naturally everyone's freaking out. But, but Bill, the other week, very strangely, was like, oh, you know, all of a sudden, everyone thinks he's out for the season, and then he's back against Miami. And you're like, well, was that the best decision? And uh, also shows that, of course, they listen. The Patriots listen to everything and read everything. But look, a guy gets carted off. I, I don't know what other conclusion you want to reach other than this is probably pretty serious. So, yeah, he's still out. Bill will offer no details about this. I don't know if you have any more details about Ty Montgomery. No, other than it's just a big bummer. Like, I thought he yeah. was looking really good could provide something on third down that as good as Ramondre Stevenson is could provide something a little bit different throughout training camp throughout the preseason thought that he had a little bit of jolt in him and I was excited to see what they were going to do with him so I, I do think it's you know it's not a massive number one wide receiver or anything that they're missing but you know a fun piece that I was excited to see how it was going to look and who knows if we'll get that chance now yeah all right, Chad, get you out of the final score prediction as promised. What do you got for Sunday? So we, you know, at Sunday night, get an email of uh, what the spread is going to be for the upcoming week. And if I remember correctly, it was six points. I remember thinking, God, six points is a lot. Like, this is a team that just lost to the Bears at home. Um, and then after seeing that, I did a little bit more homework on the Colts and realized, Oh boy, it's only six points. The Colts stink. So I don't know that the offense is going to be that good for the Patriots, but um, I do think it's enough to cover the six points. I initially had it 24 17 Patriots. Then I heard you listing out three of their last four games. They haven't eclipsed 16, so I'm changing it. 24 Patriots, 16 Colts with a, a three field goals mixed in there. Uh, so 24 16 New England. That's good. That's good. I um I also have waffled on this. I think the bottom line is the score is going to get weird. Like, I don't know if we're getting into score. I mean, territory and we're going to break any sort of news here. But I think ultimately, 
I landed on 26 to 17. And I think this is a case where they might get up early. The red zone offense is still really troublesome. I think it's like 45% touchdown rate. Not good. Um, but they'll know how to operate against this cover three defense. I think ultimately they'll slow down and Ellinger will get some sort of long run that breaks off. And he, he proved he can manage the game, you know, 17 to 23 for 201, nothing to sneeze at. It's just also not going to win on Sunday. So I, I, I wanted to make this 26 to 10, be like, everyone's going to say Patriots are back on track. And then they go into the bye and five and four Mac is fixed. I just, I can't get there yet. And I think that's fair and reasonable. So 26, to 17, is still not bad. There's a reason that basically the entire league has moved away from this cover three offense has figured out how to beat it. Um, and so, yes, like that matchup of the Patriots passing game concerns me a little bit. You've got to be able to beat cover three in this week. If you can't beat cover three, uh, go back to the drawing board. So that I think gives me a little bit of hope for Mac Jones in the passing game. Yeah, no question about it. And it's even just kind of, it's like playing with your cards face up on the table. You can still get a better, a good hand at five card stud and you can win, but like everyone's going to know whether to fold or how to eventually win out in the long run. And uh, the weird thing is the Colts to their credit, as much as we we've dumped on them today and they're the second worst team in the league by DVOA beat the chiefs who used to shred cover three more than anyone 20 to 17 in week three. And that game a is the, the, the utmost fool's gold of the NFL season, but B might've been, What's the opposite of a blessing in disguise, like a curse in disguise, because they started <laughs> to believe they might have something here with Matt Ryan. Oh, no, you need to tank as fast as possible and, and stop prolonging this idea you're contending, because, as you mentioned and described, the roster construction is just really hollow. But this episode was not hollow at all. Chad Graff in his debut, you absolutely crushed it. I thank you for coming on, man. I'm looking forward to this game more on Sunday than I was, which is to say we're never looking forward to games. But when you have the most boring team in the league by DVOA, and that is a very official stat coming into town. You know, some games are, are different than others, but uh, I thank you, man. This was great. This is great. Thanks for having me.